This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Ishmael Johnson, here in a slightly chillier studio with producer Mal Pal. Mallory, how are you? I'm good. I'm all bundled up right now. You can't see me, but I've got a sweatshirt and a blanket on right now. So Michigan State sweatshirt on like you are in East Lansing right now. Literally. (laughs) Very on brand for me. It's starting to get a little hot out, so we're going to have to keep this room a little cooler with all the equipment. Yeah. Uh, And back on the other line, how we typically do during the season, Mike Craven. Mike, how are you, buddy? Doing pretty good, trying to avoid uh, some heat out here in hot Bertram, Texas. Oh, yeah, man. It, it, every year May comes around, I'm like, am I ready? Am I know. I, am I ready for the next four or five months? Like, I looked at the weather today because I need to get my car washed Yeah, and was just quickly defeated by the 97s, the 98s this whole <laughs> week. And I'm like, dude, it's only May. Like, Can we, can we at least have a little bit of spring? But yeah, nope, nope, Texas nope. We, says no. I was about to say, we have winter and then summer yep <laughs> exactly we don't have fall we don't have spring yep the only yep. reason we know it's spring is that it rains a little more yeah temperature wise there is no spring so tornadoes and lightning right exactly <laughs> all the worst things that come with spring <laughs> exactly exactly all right so we have kind of a slim down show today we have another interview series first of all i should mention uh this one with sfa head coach colby carthel one of our favorite personalities in the state um i think i first I didn't talk to him, but I know Tepper and Max at the time when he was working here. He, they talked to him after he won the uh, D2 national title with uh, Texas a Commerce and uh, Luis Perez at quarterback. And uh, at that point, I think that was 2017, he quickly became one of the biggest, best personalities, in my opinion, in the state. And so when he got the SFA job, um, of course, during their uh, kind of freelance COVID year 2020. There was that photo of him with his shirt off after they, uh, I forgot who they beat, but they beat somebody. And it was just like, oh, okay, I get it. This guy's, this guy's, uh, this guy's great. And so Mike, I'm glad you got a chance to sit down and talk with him uh, one-on-one because he's somebody who I think everybody in the state should be getting to know more of. Yeah, he was tremendous. If you want to hear a coach completely annihilate me and my profession, stick around and listen to Colby <laughs> Carthel's <laughs> He did say he wanted talk to talk about. to me over you, so it was good. It was good. It was a fun, it was a fun time. He was uh, he was great. It was great was doing great. Uh, his interview for the magazine, and then getting him on to kind of talk about some non football stuff just to get to know him a little bit bit yeah. better. He was it was fun time. I think it was a good interview. One of the things, and we can talk about this later after the interview, but one of the things that strikes me about his personality is he strikes me as somebody. Have we talked about Keeler as like a lifer? And obviously they're moving up to FBS, so like you know it's, it's different. That's the same Houston was, but I do think he's—I don't want to say an FCS lifer, but I do think he's the type of personality that I don't see. And this isn't because I don't think he could do it. I think he's—I think he's good enough to where he'll build. A, he could potentially build up to this. I don't see him as being like a big time Power Five head coach. I see him as like Kansas State. Right, like I see him more like an insular community where he can really be himself. Because like 
I mean, let's be honest. The way he acts could turn some people off, right? Some people don't want a coach that is that type of personality, is that type of passion, has that type of passion. But like, I feel like in the locker room and in a community, a tight knit community, like a Nacogdoches, like a, a Commerce Texas, um, I think UTEP would have been a great job for him too, or it could be a great job for him down the line if that happens or whatever. Like, I think those type of communities are the ones that he fits best um, because I feel like whether it's media cycles or whatever, and you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, your profession, <laughs> our profession here. Um, I don't think that meshes well with what his personality and coaching style is. Well, he even mentioned in the interview too, that he's all about having fun. You know, mm-hmm. he, his number one priority is to make sure the kids are having fun. And sure. that's something that he instilled at his uh, staff at A&M commerce. And that's definitely something that he is trying to instill at SFA too. Yeah, and he said he was a small-town guy. You know, he he grew up in a small town. He went to Angelo State. You know, his dad was a D2 uh, head football coach for a long time. You know, helps him. You know, he's an assistant, you know, kind of volunteer assistant at SFA uh, to be around the grandkids and stuff. So, you know, I, I he, he even said in the interview that he tried to turn down the SFA job, in his in his words, hundreds of times. You know, like he – he wanted every reason to stay at commerce still has a piece of property back in commerce and was planning to build a house and just kind of live out there and, you know, ride into the sunset, win some national championships, go into college football hall of fame. So, you know, I, I don't know if he's somebody we'll ever see coaching like Austin, sure, right. Or sure. LA or anything like that. Uh, but again, like you said, not because of his coaching acumen, I, I think he, you know, would be a great coach wherever he decided to be. I think personality fit wise, uh, he does fit in kind of the smaller towns. He likes to hunt. He likes fish. You know, mm-hmm. I get the feeling he likes to be left alone sometimes. He sure. mentioned, you know, uh, the other day he went went to the ranch, worked for 11 hours, just kind of put his head down and worked and got away from everything. I, mm-hmm. I think he enjoys that. You get up into those, you know, P5 major, major jobs. You can't do that mm-hmm. kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. You just don't have that kind of time. Um, I think work-life balance is, a, is an important thing, and he seems like a guy who has plenty of that right now. Yep. So we'll get into that. Um... About in 20 minutes or so, I'd say 15, 20 minutes. We got a couple headlines um, and a couple discussion points, uh, mostly. No real huge news. I guess the biggest news was the uh, Baylor quarterback situation. Um, they go with Blake Shapin, obviously, after the spring game or, and before the May deadline. Um, were we off? We were off when that news dropped, right? I should. Yeah, that was the yeah. week we took off. Okay, so. For me to write the yeah, cover so. Story. Right, exactly. So, you know, last time we talked, we kind of. That was one of the discussion points for Baylor. Obviously, this offseason was, is Behannon or Blake Shapin the guy? Um, I think we all came to the same conclusion that we wouldn't have been shocked if Behannon was the guy, but that the team's ceiling probably was higher with Shapin. Well, it looks like Dave Aranda felt the same way, that the team's higher ceiling was with Shapin. So he was named the starter before the made first deadline, of course, and that allowed Gary Behannon to transfer and gain immediate eligibility. Uh, He popped up at USF, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. I figured he would be in play for somewhere, maybe around the area, maybe around his home state of Arkansas, maybe Arkansas. I don't know. Um, But also, I know Arkansas is pretty dedicated to Malik Hornsby over there. He seems to be the guy there. So maybe it wasn't really an option for him. But um, yeah, interesting move for him. USF has kind of been a down program recently. They have, um, oh God, uh, Jeff Scott, their head coach, I think from Clemson, uh, OC, uh, former OC under Dabo Swinney. So he's been kind of tasked with turning that program around. And when you look at his track record with quarterbacks, obviously Trevor Lawrence, I believe Deshaun Watson was under him as well. Um, Taj Boyd, I'm pretty sure too. 
Um, or at least he, I don't know if he was a coordinator with Taj Boyd, but you know, he was, I think he was on the staff. He, I think this is a good fit because one, he'll obviously get to play right away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like Jeff Scott's, uh, uh, track record with quarterbacks and, you know, it, it's going to be a tough situation, obviously, because USF's not very good right now, but I have to give credit to also here to David Randa, who didn't mess around, right? He basically said like, Hey, this is the move we're making. Blake Shapin's the guy here. Gary, you are free to do what you want. And, you know, Gary, I think it's it's harsh. Obviously, you, you, you lead Baylor to a Big 12 championship and you're not the starter the next year. Um, you know, but I think we all understand that there were I think that offense had probably reached its ceiling with him at quarterback. I, I think a point that you just made is super important. And it's one that I wanted to amplify a little bit. And it's that. Good on Dave Aranda and the Baylor coaching staff for not dragging this thing on if they had an answer. Because mm-hmm. I think we could point to a few coaching staffs around the state who probably know who their starting quarterback is going to be, but yeah. won't say it because they don't want the other guy to transfer yeah. and to like you know leave a hole kind of at the backup spot. And you know Baylor didn't do that. I, I, some of that's you know they got Kyron Jones as a redshirt freshman backup out of Shadow Creek that they really like, who they think is going to be good. You know, but Dave could have easily been like, yeah, it's still a competition. We're going to have it open in August. Mm -hmm. You know, Gary's won a lot of games here. We're going to see, you know, what we can do there, even if, you know, in his mind's eye, he knew uh, that Shapin was going to be the dude. So good on Baylor for doing that. I think the transfer portal has a lot more guys like Gary Bohannon than not, you know, Mm -hmm. guys who are using it in the correct way, like, what is wrong with knowing that you, you know, he, he won a lot of football games at Baylor, did everything he was supposed to do, was a great leader, was a great teammate by all accounts, but he got beat out by somebody who was, you know, better, at least better for that system, better for the year of 2022. And now he gets to go and kind of, you know, fulfill a dream and keep playing college football for as long as possible. I think when we talk about the transfer portal and NIL and, 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 you know, current, you know, modern college football in the landscape, we, we talk way too much about the guys who are leaving schools to go get $5 million. Most of the guys are leaving schools just to go play football for another year or two, because after it's over, they got to go be us and just be adults. And that sucks. Mm -hmm. And so uh, good on Baylor. I'm glad that Bohannon found a spot that he likes. I do think Scott's offense will be really good uh, for him. He's known as a guy who uses kind of bigger quarterbacks in the run game and and puts them positions uh, to be successful in the past game. So I think an all in all good story. And just another, uh, just one of the things that I, I liked about it was how you mentioned that, you know, Baylor didn't kind of let this thing kind of linger for too long and put a kid in, in a weird spot where, you know, he just kind of sits there in, in August. If he doesn't want to be there, I wish more and more, you know, coaching staffs would kind of do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, as we move forward. Yeah. There is like, I think when, like you mentioned it, when, especially in this era, like there is a, a sense of like, you know, uh, it's, it's just kind of free agency or I guess more of a, uh, uh, I guess soccer analog, uh, an analogy would be better where it's like, oh, they're offering this much for you. So like, you know, I'm going to try to make a move over there. Um, and so that's what gets the headlines, obviously. But like the one thing that even, and this has kind of been my sticking point with the narrative around the transfer portal since it kind of arose is the fact that in both good and bad ways, like coaches have been ruthless with players, right? Like whether or not, I think this was a good form of ruthlessness, right? Where they just straight up told, Hey, you're not going to start. But the positive was that he was able to transfer. That's part of being a coach is be having that ruthfulness or ruthlessness. What I do think that 
what I do think is lost, I think this was such a high profile situation to where like, oh, Baylor starting quarterback is out. Okay, so it became publicly known that like he was leaving because he wasn't going to be the starter. What I think doesn't get no what what doesn't get a lot of coverage is coaches who do the same thing, but maybe to players who aren't as high profile, right? You see an offensive lineman transfer, you see a guy who maybe started three years in transfer, and people are like, "Man, that's weird," or "Wow, he must hate that coach." And it's like, well, not necessarily. I think a lot of these guys get the indication that they're not going to be a starter, right? And they and they end up leaving. And sometimes it's amicable. You don't always see like, I don't know. I think the vast majority of transfers in this regard, not including NIL or anything, but in this regard are mutual departures, right? Where it's like, hey, you're probably not going to start. Okay, I want to, you know, and so coaches are saying you can go, you can leave and you can go anywhere. And players are like, okay, cool. But I feel like there's such a stigma around if a guy transfers, he hates it. Him, mm-hmm. the coaches, you know, the coach, him and the coaches are on bad terms or whatever. Obviously there's probably some bitterness on the player's part, but like, I don't know. I don't, I felt there was a stigma, um, uh, especially now that the transfer portal, uh, since the transfer portal kind of ballooned after COVID that everybody was just like these awful relationships and oh my gosh, you know, he probably can't stand the locker room or whatever. And that's not really the case. I feel like most of them are like Gary Bahannon where it's like, I just want to play, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm just, I'm just here to, you know, I wasn't in the rotation. Fair enough. Hey, I did what I did. I got you guys a a big 12 title. Cool. I'm out. Right. And I feel like so many more situations like that are are common than probably what they get uh, uh, covered as in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you look at the transfer portal, about 40% of the guys in there are former walk-ons, and I would say 30 to 40% more of them in there are guys who were told by the coaching staff that there may not be room for them. I mean, sure. these are still one-year contracts, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, they're, and they're still, you know, as little as we like to talk about it, there are those conversations behind the scenes of how do we get this guy off our books, mm-hmm. you know? So for every Zach Evans that leaves TCU for uh, Ole Miss, there's 10 other guys that, you know, that school's trying to get off, you know, their book so they can go get guys that fit them, their fists, their system more, or mm-hmm. they think they're, you know, are going to play better or whatever the case may be. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think when we look at the transfer portal, there's probably only 15 to 20% of those guys in there that are actually in there by choice who are leaving a place where they could play football. Yeah. Most of the time they're leaving to find a place where they can play actual football, not be on a practice team or scout team or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the guys who get the headlines and, and get the talking points and get fan bases riled up are the dudes that, you know, win the Blitnikoff and then leave Pitt, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's a better talking point. Uh, but the vast majority of guys are not in that situation. Yeah. Uh, along that lines of the transfer portal, uh, you had an article out uh, yesterday, I believe the 10th, on new coaches and kind of the reality of transfer portals. Um or the reality that's created via the transfer portal for new coaches. Typically when you've seen a guy like Joey McGuire, when you see a guy uh, come in and even Sark in his, in most of his second year, like even guys like Sark where you see, typically you always in recruiting, you, you know, this is a recruiting guy, right? You write off the first class, right? Like you, you just say like, and they're scrapping together what they can get. Right. It's not, you know, it's kind of maybe it's three or four or five of their guys, but the vast majority of those classes are guys that they're just kind of hoping are good based off the intel from the other staff that left and the scouting intel, what they have already. Sure, whatever. Now, yes, when you come to when it comes to high school classes, sure, that's probably still somewhat the case. But as you mentioned, new coaches are averaging, and I, I recommend everybody go check this out because it is a good breakdown. 
new coaches are averaging uh, this year uh, 13, almost over 13 and a half new players via the transfer portal as of May 9th. So, and you look at Texas, and again, this is not a not a new, but not a new team or a new coach, but similar. I think this is similar. We look at what Joey McGuire is doing. We'll start mm-hmm. off with him, and all of a sudden, you look at that roster. You're like, man, that's there's a lot of interesting pieces there, right? Yeah. Baylor Cup. You got oh, Brady Boyd. You know, you start to look. You're like, man, okay, I like that. I like that. I like that. Well, then you look at Texas coming off five and seven. All of a sudden, Vegas has them what the third favorite to win the Big Twelve. Like, I don't know if I agree with that, but like. You look at the roster additions, you're like, I like that. You look at SMU, who uh, is, an, is a new hire, uh, Rhett Lashley. You know, people were worried about Sonny Dykes taking all the players, right? And everybody just following him to TCU. Well, that didn't necessarily happen. He held on to a couple. But he's also added some pretty damn heavy hitters, right? Kamar Wheaton. Uh, Bo Corrales was one that snuck under my radar. I didn't even realize that he went to he went to SMU. Um, and uh, Kevontae Dixon's another one. And so... They're kind of the transfer portals kind of I don't want to say gotten rid of and I want to, uh, this is where I kind of want to get your thoughts Mike I don't want to say gotten rid of those year zero kind of things we always throw out with coaches typically a new coach comes in first year goes however and it's like ah eh, yeah sure it's fine it's year zero right year one or year zero they've more or less thrown that again not out the window but definitely shrunk in that uh uh. Uh, expectation i should say it's to where it's like i don't know man you're if if it's a decent enough program you should probably be pulling out six wins no matter what yeah i mean i guess my my points would be you know first of all you're not given three four years to win anymore like even at a place like tech like matt wells got ran up out of there right with a winning record you know so like not overall but like in 2021 he had a winning record when he got fired so you know charlie strong tom Herman, we can go down the list of guys who we act like yeah you know by the time they have the third recruiting class on campus they should be winning well we don't give them that time anymore so the transfer portal allows those new coaches to come in and go look you know i'm not going to get patience here i need to make this roster better right now where can i go and figure that out and and over the spring you know, I think we've talked about this a little bit before, you know, spring has become over almost an evaluation period more than a developmental period where, you know, Joey McGuire walks into Texas tech and goes, look, we don't have offensive line bodies. And they go and they sign five different dudes on the offensive line. Sonny Dyke shows up to TCU. They're going to change to an odd man front. He goes, we don't have the, the right body types to run this defense here at TCU. They've had three, you know, 300 around 300 pound defensive linemen through the transfer portal. So you don't have to wait anymore. That transition class isn't a wash instead of like throwing out flyers and trying to fill up gaps because you need scholarship players on your roster come fall. You can do that in the transfer portal. I don't think Joey McGuire's plan at Texas tech is to sign 13 to 15 transfers a cycle, but it is a good way to kind of supplement this first you know, recruiting class that, you know, you can get onto the field and really get it figured out early on because you know those boosters are going to want results right away. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Texas was able to upgrade their roster. Texas Tech was able to upgrade their roster. And if you go down the list, for as much hand-wringing as we get about the transfer portal, I don't know if I could find a team inside the state at the FBS level that is worse because of the transfers they left rather than better because of the transfers that they got in. I I feel like almost every school, if not every single school on paper, Mm -hmm. is more talented today 
with the guys they added in the transfer portal than they would be today had they only kept the guys who left in the transfer portal. So I think it's a net positive for these coaches for the most part. Sure, it's probably frustrating at times to kind of lose some guys and not not really know what your roster is going to look like, yeah. you know, in terms of like being able to prepare and stuff, you know, Sonny Dykes made a comment in the article of like, you know, I'm not really, I don't think you know what your roster really looks like until August nowadays. Mm-hmm. And that's probably true. Uh, but I think it provides more of an advantage to the coaches who can go, look, we don't have a running back. We don't have a wide receiver. We don't have a right tackle, whatever the position may be. And you can go and instantly, you know, improve that not with a 17 or 18 year old that may down the line improve that position, but with a 20, 21, 22-year-old that can come in right away and be your left tackle. You know, SMU, for example, you know, their, their starting left tackle is going to be a transfer. Their starting left guard is going to be a, t- a transfer. I'd be surprised if the starting running back wasn't Kamar Wheaton that's mm-hmm. a transfer, right? I mean, they're going to have two or three wide receivers playing a lot of snaps that are transfers. That's not just on the offensive side of the ball. They're probably going to have half their starters be transfers. In previous climates, Rhett Lashley probably would have gone, you know, three and nine in his first season. We'd have to have like a wait and see approach. Now the expectations are: look at that roster, man. SMU mm-hmm. should win seven, eight, nine games. Let's see what Rhett Lashley has. And so some of that could be a double-edged sword. But the expectations in college football, because of the money being spent on these coaches, aren't to be patient at the, anymore. They're to win right away. And if you're a head coach, the best way to do that is to attract the transfer portal that first year you get on campus and really reset that roster in an image that you like it to be. Yeah, I agree. I think that the reason why I brought up um, uh, Steve Sarkeesian in Texas is because of that where, you know, we're not – last year obviously was last year, but, like, I know some – reactive fans were like oh you know he's not the guy gotta move on or whatever but i also know one i knew that that wasn't going to happen obviously but the other thing i knew was that that they have to come out a lot better next year like it's not just like a yes they weren't going to fire him after one year but that does probably push his timeline up a bit right if they come out you know in the next couple years and don't probably hit the 10 win mark probably by 23 or something um that probably does push where it's like oh that, that that start was pretty bad so you know what was this kind of going so what did he do he just went out and got quinn ewers right like he, he was like we got oh we need a quarterback cool fixed oh we need depth at wide receiver fixed right like instant fix and they didn't get the the trench help that they needed which again goes back to like the whole like ooh, is he gonna have enough time to build some of these linemen that he's getting out of high school um that they desperately needed, but again, are still freshmen coming out. And again, I look at somebody like somebody like a Joey McGuire, who is known for his high school accolades, obviously and connections. And sure. They're obviously like, I think they're still one of the top five classes in 23 right now. Cause he's hit the ground running, but he's also like, look at the transfers they're bringing in. It's guys that you would hope that a guy with Texas high school connections would be able to bring right. Brady Boyd, Baylor cup, uh, uh, Tyler Owens, right? Like these guys are like, oh, okay. These are Texas players that he knows about that. He has connections with their coaches. Cause he was probably recruiting them at Baylor and he's bringing them, you know, some of them are out of state. I know Tyler Owens was at Texas, but some of them were out of state bringing them back home. Be like, Hey, why don't you just come back here? And so you're getting kind of the benefit of hiring a Joey McGuire without having to necessarily wait for those recruits to come in from high school, from the 23 class, 22 class or whatever, and develop in two, three years. You can see, Brady Boyd right away this year, this year, right? Probably be one of their, one of their uh, uh, 
key uh, rotation guys at wide receiver. You can see Tyler Owens come in and play. You can see Baylor Cup make a difference right away. And so I think the transfer portal in some ways is making is yeah like is is expediting a lot of the development when it comes to these coaches because they're obviously bringing guys that fit their scheme like you mentioned with uh TCU where it's like well we need guys that fit and so it's like okay we'll just go get you know go get a body that uh, that's played some downs in college and that can fit so yeah i agree i think it is a net positive overall i think it's just other things like nil that that kind of make things a little bit more interesting right now um but overall i do think it is a uh i agree with you that it's been a net positive in my opinion when it comes to my college football experience and i get why college coaches don't like it because it's more work oh yeah no you mean you got you still got to call that high school kid that you're trying to recruit and you're also trying to call 10 other transfer portal kids that you're trying to recruit and you got to build a culture within your locker room that makes people not want to leave it yeah I will say right. that's that's the you one thing to that be able to sign. You used to be able to sign kids, and then like you had them, right? Right, yes. like one hundred percent dead. If they wanted to leave, they had to sit out a whole year. Who knows how that works? Like a lot of colleges don't want to use a scholarship on a guy who has to sit out a year, so they were iffy to kind of take the transfer guy. Mm-hmm. So you basically just have to sit there and write it out. Yeah. Right. Well, now, if you want to be successful, not only do you need to recruit guys and get them on campus, but you need to build a, a workplace. That makes people want to go, you know, hey, I, I want to work here. Yeah, I maybe I could get an extra $20,000 if I went somewhere else or whatever, but I like it here. I, I like the school. I like my friends. I like my teammates. I like the coach. I like what we're doing. I believe in what we're doing. You didn't see a lot of guys leave UTSA. Sure, yeah. Right? You didn't mm-hmm. see Zakari, you know, Franklin, those kind of guys that I'm sure could have gone to big P5 schools and gotten some extra money and all that kind of stuff that doesn't exist in San Antonio. Uh, but that's a program that people like to play for right now. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I do think that's a part of the equation, you know, that we're not talking about. Some of this is just being a good boss. Yeah. And for a long time, I don't know if college head coaches had to worry about that. Now they do. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. One thing, the last thing I want to hint on this is one coach that has done this probably better than anyone in the country. And I hate to admit it because he gets on my nerves is Dabo Swinney. Mm-hmm. nobody's transferring from Clemson, right? And to his credit, he's not bringing in transfers either, right? Like w- the the thing that uh, Nick Saban kind of jokingly referred to is like, okay, I guess this is the way things are going, right? So he's just going to go get every good transfer he can get, right? Um, and so he was basically like, yo, this is the rules? All right, cool, bet. Dabo Swinney, for all of his insufferability when it comes to players making money, and a lot of off the field stuff. I again, I genuinely think he's insufferable when it comes to talking about things not uh, off the field as far as college athletics goes. But he has established something there that keeps people in Clemson, right? There's no and again, part of it is probably that yeah, sure, Clemson has money and so like obviously, but that doesn't stop people from transferring. Right? People are leaving Texas, people are leaving Alabama. Like that doesn't stop people from transferring all the time. To an extent, Dabo Swinney, to his players at least, right? Probably not to the media or whatever, but to his players at least, I think Dabo Swinney's a good boss, right? He's somebody who they're not leaving to go play somewhere else, right? After, especially after last year, where it was obviously not the year they wanted, and everybody stuck around, right? You haven't seen that mass exodus that you would expect from a program that fell off as hard as Clemson did last year. Um and so, yeah, I, I think to your point, that's a good, that's a very good point is that I, w- I like to see the, the, the programs that are keeping players there. And 
to Jeff Trailer's credit too, it's not like he's going and adding UTSA is adding a bunch of transfers either, right? Like he's bringing, he might bring in a couple, but like because he's keeping everybody there, and it kind of goes to his coaching philosophy too, how he's just promoting from within as opposed to go getting outside talent, uh, like they do with Will Stein and and Joe Price promoting them from within. He's trying to prove to his guys there that there is a way to move up, right? That there is a loyalty there on his part saying, hey, I'm not going to go get a new quarterback because Frank Harris had a bad game and I want him to have competition, right? I'm just going to keep Frank Harris here. Um, I'm not going to go get a hot shot offensive coordinator because Barry Lunny left. I'm just going to promote Will Stein. And so I think, yeah, I mean, it basically, like, like you said, it boils down to just being a good boss and running a program well. All right. Well, that's uh, that's all our headlines and kind of discussion points for this episode. We're going to get to our interview now with head coach Colby Carthel. Uh, like like we've said all along, these are low key interviews, you know, nothing really too much on the field related. Um, you know, they just got finished with in this case, they just got finished with spring ball. So, like, you know, the last thing they probably want to do is rehash all of that again and ask about their quarterback situation, and all that. So. It's a lot about Colby Carthel's career, Colby Carthel's life, and you'll hopefully get a sense of uh, the kind of guy he is and why he's kind of been such a favorite around the DCTF office as far as personality goes. So without further ado, here is SFA head coach Colby Carthel. All righty, here with SFA head coach Colby Carthel. Coach, thank you for taking the time. Uh, before we get into it, last week we had Casey Keeler on, and I, you know, I got a question from you to ask Coach Keeler, so I, I let him return the favor. So I want to, this is from him. This is not me. Please do not beat me up. He wanted to know if this, if this coaching thing didn't work out for you, if you already had a food network job lined up, hashtag be a big coach. Those are, again, those are, those are his words. Well, I, I do. I, I, that's a pretty you know lucrative uh, opportunity for me, but you know, after the uh, 2020 season, when I took my shirt off and was such a national sensation, I'm thinking Chippendales might be, my next line of employment. So uh, if, if that doesn't work out, then I'll jump back into the food network. It's always good to have a backup plan. Absolutely right. good to have a backup plan. You two have what I think is an incredible relationship and, and one that I think college football could learn from if all rivalries kind of had that going back. Forward. I'm curious, were you ever a professional wrestling fan? Because it seems like you two kind of have that ability to kind of shoot promos at each other and understand what it's all about. Oh, I, I think both of us just have a good, you know, you know, we, 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 we take our job serious, but we don't take ourselves too serious all the time. And, and, you know, I think uh, life's too short not to have fun with it. And if you can't laugh at yourself, uh, you know, what can you laugh at? And so uh, we, we do, I mean, we're, we're bitter rivals and, and he wants to win and I want to win and, and we're going to do all we can to get that done, but we're going to do it in a manner with, you know, some class and have some fun with it. And I think everybody, you know, again, the world takes itself way too serious these days and makes everything personal and, and attacking. And, and I, I, I agree with you, Mike, I think, uh, we could all enjoy life a little more if we, we had a little more sense of humor, uh, in, in our own hearts. You were a linebacker at Angelo state. I'm curious if head coach Colby Carthel would even recruit linebacker Colby Carthel, how that would go. Uh, definitely not. You know, I was, uh, way too slow and too terrible. Not, not at this place. I know I, that's what I tell all my players. I'm like, man, you're a lot better player than I ever was. So, uh, but no, I, 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 I enjoyed the game. The game taught me a lot. I, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to coach and give back to this game, give back to players and, and, uh, very thankful for the education I got at Angelo state and the experiences and the memories I had there. 
uh, with my teammates and coaches. Wouldn't trade it for the world, and and hope uh, hope we're able to you know foster an environment like that here at, at SFA. That's my goal. So so some of these guys can have those same experiences because in the end, uh, you know these these rings that we wear, they they you know I put them on for an interview, but other than that, they they collect dust, and it's the memories you make and the experiences you have that that's what makes college sports so so unique and so uh, so awesome. Your dad, Don, also uh, was a college football coach, a head coach that you worked for. Was there any doubt that you were going to get into coaching when your playing career was over? Was that kind of a birthright, or was it something you kind of came into later in life? No, I think my parents did a great job letting me, you know, choose my own path and and uh, even playing after high school. That was completely my decision. Uh, but, you know, once I when I went to college, I wanted to be a game warden, you know, and and because uh, I like to hunt and fish. And then I realized, well, game warden doesn't act they don't ever get to hunt and fish. You know, they just police the people that hunt and fish. So I, uh, about my sophomore year decided, you know, that wasn't going to be the path and, and, uh, taking a lot of biology classes. So then I, I was working towards pre-med and did everything, but, you know, graduated the biology degree and, and then broke my mom, my grandma's heart. Cause I didn't go to med school. I just decided to go coach and, and, uh, you know, this game gets in your blood and, and just the, like I say, the camaraderie and the memories you make and the fun times you have, you know, competing and, and not just competing, you know, it's the, it's the days leading up to it, the, the workouts in the summer and the recruiting and the, you know, just building a team, building a program, you know, and being part of a program, being part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, that's what's so enjoyable about football. You know, your dad, I mean, obviously they know how much of a grind it is. Was there any kind of talk from him of like, Hey, this is what you're getting into. Are you sure this is kind of what you want type of deal? <laughs> Yeah, I, I really enjoyed farming, you know, uh, when my dad retired in, at age 39, you know, for us, just so he could, uh, you know, be a little bit more part of our life. Uh, he, he moved the family farm. I, I love farming. I've always had a garden each year. Uh, and I like, you know, having dirt underneath my fingernails and, you know, hauling hay and building fence. And, and in fact, last week I took a day uh, and I just went up to place and, and work for about 11 hours, you know, worked like a rented mule and, and did just that built fence and, and, uh, shredded run, ran a tractor. And that's, that's good for the soul, I think. Uh, but you know, in terms of the grind and, and what it takes, you're going to work, you know, no matter what you do, uh, unless, you know, you work, you know, in your profession, you get to sit on the couch and just talk to people all day. It's gotta be the easiest job on the planet. But, uh, for most normal people, Mike, uh, you got to work your tail off to be successful. And so uh, that that's why I chose football because it is it's it's just an enjoyable day each day you come and and yes you put in tremendous hours and and it's a sacrifice uh, with family and time but it you enjoy doing it so you you look up you've been doing it 23 years you don't feel like you worked a day in your life it is a lot easier to talk about wins and losses than actually achieve wins and losses a hundred percent a hundred percent give it to you there um, one last question about your dad you were the DC for him at West Texas A&M, what was that like? I mean, how, like, you know, being a son and, a, and an assistant coach and being a dad and your boss, you know, how, how fun was that kind of relationship getting that time together as, you know, maybe more peers than, you know, father-son maybe when you're a kid? Yeah, no, it was a, it was a tremendous blessing and, uh, you know, some time that, that we'll always cherish and, and really and truly pretty much of my 23 years, I think about 21 of them we've coached together. He volunteered for us there at at Abilene Christian when I was there working for, for Gary Gaines at ACU. And then I, I went there and worked with him. And then, uh, you know, as soon as I got the job at Commerce, you know, that 
that next year he started helping us and he's still, he's in our press box ever, ever fall and, and uh, down here for two days and, you know, stays very involved with our staff. And so it's a, it's a tremendous blessing and, and unique in, in this profession to, to be able to have that, uh, that bond and, and those special times together. And he gets my mom down here. We've got three little, little boys. And so uh, she, she allows him to keep coaching because she gets to come see the grandkids more often. And so uh, it's been great, you know, there at WT, it was, it was fun uh, specific to your question, you know, being the DC, you know, it's always your fault when you lose, whether you lose 10 to nine or, you know, 50 to 49 defense, it's always defense's fault that you lost, but uh, we were very, very successful there, had some great defenses, had some tremendous teams, uh, you know, during that seven-year run, I think we were the most successful team in the state of Texas that played scholarship college football, so uh, no complaints there, and, and uh, a lot of great people up there in the Texas Panhandle and West Texas in general. You get your first head coaching job in 2013 at Texas A&M Commerce. How much, how prepared were you for that job? Like how prepared can you be for the first time you're a head coach? And maybe what was one of the more surprising things about being a head coach that maybe you just hadn't even accounted for, or even knew you were going to face? You know, uh, I guess the more surprising thing is it's, you know, is the buck stops here. I mean, there's no, no, no one else you can take your troubles to. I mean, everything, everything ends on the head coach's desk. Uh, it was, uh, was I ready for it? No, you know, no one's ever ready for it. You know, just like you're never ready to coordinate. You're never ready to coach. You just get out there and you do it. You just, you find a way to, to get it done and be successful. And you make, you know, you make mistakes, but you fall forward, you know, and, and, and you get up and, and you learn from them and, and you go from there. But, uh, it, it was a lot of fun, you know, turning that program around again. They were, it was, <laughs> it was placed in bad shape. Uh, one of the worst programs in the country when we got there and we just, you know, got a bunch of guys, good bunch, good young coaches, and we went out and hustled the recruit trail, recruited a bunch of great players, and and uh, had a lot of fun while we were there. And well, we turned it around and won a bunch of rings. And you know, five years later, you look up and you go from worst in the country to national champion. That you know, it's kind of a storybook. And and uh, I always tell people that what's the secret to our success? You know, we don't we don't have more fun because we win. You know, we win because we have more fun. And and we've kind of tried to instill those, those same qualities and the things we did there at, at uh, AM Commerce, we've, we've tried to build uh, this program on those same same foundations. And, and I think uh, the success is, has found us here as well and, and uh, kind of seeing history repeat itself. You know, was it hard when the SFA job came along? I mean, you, you did take a program that had won like two games in the previous two years before you got there to a national championship. You know, was it just time to kind of move on to the, to the next challenge or was there kind of some apprehension of, you, know, you kind of built this thing. You know, did you want to kind of stay and see it through a little bit? How did that work for you? Oh, it, you know, God's got a sense of humor, and uh, you know, I always follow His plan, and, and His plan's perfect. But you know, in September of 2018, my wife and I we bought some land, uh, some acreage there outside of Commerce. We we're getting ready to build a big house on on some on a property out off a dirt road, and our kids go to North Hopkins County School, and you know, stay there, and when. 10, 12, 14 ball games every year, go to the college football hall of fame. And then two months later, you know, uh, this job came calling and, and just, you know, we tried to say no a hundred times, but every, every time, you know, the door, the, you know, the good Lord opened doors and, and pointed us in this direction. And Ryan Ivy, our athletic director here, uh, was the AD that hired me there at commerce. And he had, he had left and gone to Austin P and turned that program around and then came here. So, you know, this, this profession, a lot of it is, uh, you know, like any professions, who you work with, who you work for, 
Uh, make sure you're working for good people. Dr. Westbrook, our president, you know, was was an athletic-minded guy. His wife's in our Hall of Fame. And and so knew, knew we had good, good leadership here, good administration. Obviously, you're in East Texas. There's talent. <laughs> oh, you go out here and shake a pine tree and three or four kids fall out that run 4-4. Four, four. So uh, there's there's great great football being played out here, great programs, and, and new recruiting would, would you know, be, it'd be easy to recruit. And so, uh, you know, again, we tried to stay because we love commerce, still do. We've still got that place. We go up there all the time. Uh, lifelong friends there uh, within that athletic department, within that community, a fantastic place. But I've really been uh, thoroughly enjoyed and, and been very blessed here at, at Nacogdoches. They've welcomed us. We, we're not a bin. We weren't born in NAC. But we got here as soon as we could, and, and this this community has been fantastic to us and our family and, and this program in general. That kind of leads me to my next question. You know, Texas is such a big state that like each region kind of has its own kind of vibe and identity. What are some of the differences between West Texas and East Texas? Well, uh, after I finally got over my claustrophobia, you know, because here there are trees everywhere. And, uh, you know, where I came from, you had a tumbleweed that blow by every two or three minutes. But other than that, there were no trees and not much water. Uh, the only water you could get was what you pulled up out of the ground, irrigating. And so uh, out here, it's a different vibe. It's, you know, shoot, I look around and I think I'm in, you know, the Rocky Mountains up, uh, you know, up in a resort town somewhere, just because from West Texas, you went you went to, you know, Colorado or New Mexico, you know, up in, in Red River, Eagle's Nest, you know, those areas and or down to Rio Dosa, and you were in the mountains and these trees and pine trees and you, unless you come out here and Nacogdoches is off the beaten path, there's not an interstate that runs through here. Unless you've specifically been out here into to deep East Texas, you don't know what it's about. And it is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, the weather's phenomenal. Other than about two months out of the year, it gets a little hot and sticky. But uh, right now it's, it's you know, Chamber of Commerce weather. And, and just, again, there's great people, I think, everywhere. Uh, you got to find them. I enjoy uh, smaller communities and and uh you know we got about forty thousand people out here so it's you got all you want in a big city but you've got still that smaller community feel and so uh it's a it's a unique unique place and uh and very very beautiful and if you hadn't hadn't visited out in east texas nacogdoches i highly suggest you get out here and and check it off your bucket list i asked you this when we were doing magazine preview stuff but you know if i could take you back to that first set of spring practices practices as a sfa compared to like your most recent practices at SFA, kind of how different is it just in that program over the last couple of years, just the talent level and just, you know, the ability to get guys to know what you expect, you know, each and every day. I, I think it, it, it just comes, you know, we're obviously practicing a whole lot faster. You know, part of that is uh, athleticism, you know, so part of that's people we've recruited part of that's, you know, our off season program coach stoner and the work work that they've done uh, just to build, uh, this this program in in the off seasons that we've we've had now and then just you know knowledge of the game and, and familiarity with the offense defense special teams and your coaching staff and you know obviously we had some coaching turnover after last season so there was you know a little bit of an adjustment uh, this spring you know getting used to some new coaches and, and new terminology but for the most part you know we've picked up where we left off and and it's it's been you know it's not day difference and and that's I think back to that. I videoed our first uh, off-season workout. I mean, and we ran like five over and backs and people. I mean, there was like 30 people puking everywhere. It was so – and, I mean, I was just walking around. It's 5.30 in the morning, and I was videoing them. I sometimes have to pull that out, to be honest with you, Mike, and watch that to know 
that's, you know, if I'm having a bad day or, or, you know, I get, you know, worried, we're not doing what we need to do. You know, I don't know, get frustrated, you know, I'll pull that out and Hey, that's where we started here. Where's where we are now. Let's keep pushing, take this thing to the top. But uh, it's, it has come a long, long ways. If I make you NCAA King for the day, you know, what's the, what's the one thing you're changing about the current landscape of college football that you think would make it, would make it better? NCAA King for the day, you know, uh, ooh, that's a, that's an interesting question. You know, obviously there's a lot going on uh, within our profession and, and uh, with NIL transfer portal, the transformation committee, all that stuff, you know, I'm, I'm all for the NIL. I think it's awesome. These kids are getting paid. I think it's long overdue. Uh, you know, using their name, image, and likeness. Uh, you know, the one thing I wish, if I was king for the, for the day, I wish I could roll back time, uh, you know, 10 or 12, 15 years, because I think the NCAA really dropped the ball, and, and us and as professionals have too, in terms of devaluing what an education is all about and what, what getting a college degree is about. And, and it's, we've let, we've let influencers and people that didn't go to college and didn't play college sports have such a say and, and just, changing uh the landscape and bottom line college sports is still about getting a degree i mean because the ball's going to stop snapping uh at some point or spinning or shooting they're going to ask you to stop playing i don't care what your sport is let's maybe you play golf you know you can play golf your whole life but at some point they're going to quit asking you to do it and and that's where these student athletes men and women like you know just having a college degree that's going to make even the guys that go in the NFL, most of the guys that play in the NFL, if you're an average NFL player, you know, you're, you're not going to make generational money. You still better have an education to fall back on to provide for you and your family. We've had a lot of guys coaching on our staff here that played many years in the NFL, but the only reason they're coaching here and being able to provide for their families is because they have a degree. And so I think, uh, you know, NCAA Kingmakers ought to, ought to put more emphasis on what a college education is all about and, and quit devaluing that and, and, and realize what, 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 the, what we're here for is to educate, you know, uh, men and women through the game of football or, or whatever sport it may be there in NCAA. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I have an uncle who played 10 years in the NFL as a quarterback. He works at Dell. Right. Like, yeah. so you got You got to go back to work eventually, unless you're, you know, Tom Brady or something. And even Tom Brady won't retire. Or quit. He's working. already got a job after, right. after got, football. Exactly. So he may not need a degree to do that because, you know, he's the greatest of all time and he can just sit there and talk about football and get paid. But for majority of normal Americans, normal people, uh, yeah, we need a degree to, to be able to provide. You know, we talked about your hobbies a little bit. You like to hunt, you like to fish before we get out of here. I'm kind of curious, like, where's the coolest place you've ever gone hunting? Where's the coolest place you've ever gone fishing? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I would, I'd probably have to say Alaska, you know, it's just, I, I, I used to work a football camp up there, the all Alaskan football camp and fly a bunch of college coaches up there and, and bring all the kids from Alaska, uh, to one camp. And it was a great experience. They still do it as a division one coach. I'm not allowed to work it anymore. Thank you, NCAA. Um, but you know, being able to go up there, I'd always fly my wife up and, and we would, you know, just hang up, hang out in that state for about two weeks and, and do some fishing and, and uh, running around. And that, that, that was really, really unique and, uh, and just a beautiful, magnificent place. So that's, that'd probably be, uh, that'd probably be number one on it. I've not done any worldly travels. Most of my hunting is all bird hunting, 
you know, because I'm a football coach. So during big game season, I'm, I'm, I'm busy coaching or recruiting. And, uh, you know, there after recruiting, you got a little bit of time to go do some quail hunting or pheasant hunting, but that's, that's about it. So, uh, but Alaska has got to be at the top of the list. You may have already answered this question when you were talking earlier, but my last question for you is if football didn't exist, if coaching didn't exist, you know, what, what would you be doing right now? What, what, what do you think your, your career would be without that? I'd probably be sitting in jail, you know, I mean, uh, prison, football coaches and uh, the things I learned through football, I think really helped me. And uh, I, I had good parents. I was raised right. Hopefully I wouldn't end up in prison, but you know, football does provide such a vehicle uh, to, to be successful in life. And it, it really, I think served me very, very well in the coaches I played for. Uh, but in terms of just my profession, you know, I, I, I do enjoy, like I said earlier, farming and, and come from, you know, a long family history of farmers. And so uh, probably be living a good life, uh, fighting the dirt and the dust and the wind and the rain, the hail and everything. The farmers, man, they don't get enough credit and uh, they're what keep this country uh, rolling. And so uh, if you see a, see a farmer today, Mike, give them a hug because they need it. It's a tough, tough profession, but it, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I, I enjoyed, like I said earlier, just being outside and and uh, working with my hands and, and some good old manual labor is good for the soul. So uh, I think that would be be a profession that, that I would, you know, have probably uh, worked towards farming and ranching. All right, Coach, I really appreciate the time. Uh, interested to see what the bet's going to be this year for the Battle of Piney Woods, and uh, good luck this summer and into the season. I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having us on. Axel. Thanks again, excuse me, uh, to head coach Colby Carthel for sitting down with us and having a great chat. I mean, I don't know. If you're not a fan of that guy after that interview, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I really don't know what to say. Go look up the, 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 the video of him taking his shirt off in the rain after they won in 2020 and fire and like in the middle of a mosh pit, like with his players, like those two things combined. You're like, yeah, I can play for this guy. <laughs> I had to mute myself during the interview. Of course I was not on camera for it, but just because I was laughing so hard at him, like everything he said was just so funny. And yeah. I, I could see Craven trying to contain himself from laughing too hard because he's just a likable person. Everything yeah. he said was just so funny. Yeah, I mean, when, you know, you know that you have a good sense of humor and you're a fun guy to be around when you're like just drilling some dude for like their job profession and he's <laughs> laughing, right? You know, like, yep. you know, when you're like, yeah, I mean, uh, other than your job where you get to sit on the couch and just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <It> was <good. laughs> and so, you know, yeah, I, I think I, I'm all, I'm always my whole life. I've always been one of those guys. It's like the why so serious meme, right? Yeah, like this yeah. is football. This isn't like state secrets. We're right. not trying to go to the moon or anything. Like you tackle, you block. I mean, I don't, I don't get why we have to treat this like it's some kind of like you know Russian spy unit or whatever. Right. What I love so much about Keeler and Carthel is that they're real about it. They work really hard. I mean, they probably put in 13, 14, 15 hours a day, just like every other coach who's successful. Uh, but they don't take, I think, I think Carthel said it perfectly. He takes his job seriously. He doesn't take himself seriously. And we need more of that, not only in college football, but just in the world at large, because we've kind of become a society that doesn't take too much seriously, but we take ourselves way too seriously. I wish, uh, again, as just a wrestling fan, I find the Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston game almost must watch the last five, six years because those guys make it must watch. It's entertaining. You want to mm -hmm. see who wins. You want to see who kind of gets the last laugh. Who's going to say something on Twitter to poke at the other one, what the bet's going to be. Um, those things are entertaining and they bring a level of excitement 
to FCS football that maybe wasn't there for like the general fan, right? Like I don't have any ties to Sam Houston or Stephen F. Austin, but that's a game I care about because the coaches have made me care about it due to their personality. I do think college football, college sports in the whole can learn a lot from those two guys and how they interact and just make that rivalry fun. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I completely agree on the, on the notion that I think when it comes to our industry, yes, obviously, you know, I, I do think college yeah, sports in general takes itself way too seriously, but I also by, by a uh, uh, proxy, I think our industry often, often takes itself way too seriously. Yeah. Um, they're all, you know, it, it just, we're covering guys playing sports. Like, it's, you know, not sharing cancer over here. Exactly. Like, again, we're sitting right now, we're sitting down talking on a mic about football. Like it really is not that serious. And so like, I'm okay with somebody cutting me down a peg. Cause like, I shouldn't have been that high on the pedestal anyway. Like I really should not have been like, I am right, right. genuinely. Had he said that and I would have been insulted. That's a me problem. Right. Yes. hundred percent. It's like, guess what? We do sit on our, on our butts and yeah. watch football. Like that's what our job is. Like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's a privilege obviously. And that's why we shouldn't have to take it so seriously is because we're in a position of, we're in a position of privilege. You know, this position, this, this job is, you talk to people about this job and it's like, it's like, Oh man, it's the coolest thing in the world. Right. And I'm, and like, every time I talk about it and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a job, you know, but they're like, Oh man, this blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's cool. And so like, I have to look at it from that perspective of like, people think this is the coolest job ever. So I, I can't act like I'm better than everybody. Right. I can't act like I'm higher, you know, so whatever. So long story short, more Colby Carthos in the world. Yeah. Uh, I am okay joking about how we just sit on our butts and watch football, watch sports all day. So, um, but yeah, and no. we don't know that much either, right? Like, I, was about I don't to say, know like, we're not coaches. Like, it's happening than like the average guy who like is sitting there just watching it on TV. We're literally we're paid to to, to kind of guesstimate, you know, educate, ed educating, or uh, provide an educated guess as to what's yeah. happening. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't know the play call, but this is what I think I saw, right? This is like, it's basically right. the summary of our job. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I am. I think journalism as a profession in general takes itself way too seriously as like arbiters of truth and blah, 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 blah. So I am perfectly okay with uh, this, that, uh, <laughs> that uh, 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 jabbing, uh, light jabs. As kind of their contender status and the best team in F uh, FCS now in Texas, at least now that Sam Houston's not uh, eligible for the playoffs and Incarnate Words in transition. So like where that kind of leaves them, um, Craven, where do you think it kind of leaves Lumberjacks? Yeah, it's amazing. So I, I had the privilege of doing the Sam Houston, Stephen F. and Incarnate Word sections in the magazine. And I feel like those are kind of the three power FCS programs right now. And so it was interesting getting to talk to each three of those, you know, head coaches because they're all in different spots. You know, Coach Kenny at, at, uh, at Incarnate Word, he's new. This is his first year being a head coach, you know, uh, you know, Cameron Ward's gone, the quarterback uh, that set all those records last year. He's at Washington State now. So they're a program that kind of is still figuring it out, kind of reset, you know, trying to see who's on campus, what kind of offense they're going to run, you know, who they can count on. There's a lot to be – there's a lot unknown there at Incarnate Word going into 2022. At Sam Houston, there's a whole lot unknown. You know, they lost mm -hmm. over half of their starters, over half of their 2D. 
they're in this transition year where, yeah, they have more scholarships and the talent should be fine. But a lot of those guys haven't played together. A lot of them haven't played at FCS level. They don't have a ton to play for because they can't make the playoffs, even if they go, you know, undefeated and run through everybody. So what is it going to be at, at Sam Houston? And then you go to Stephen F. Austin. You look at that roster and you talk to Coach Carthel and you look at his history at previous stops and you go, this is about to jump off. Like this is about to be the FCS program to watch in the state. Xavier Gibson at wide receiver probably the best FCS player returning in the entire nation. Mm-hmm. Um, Trey self at quarterback, really, really good offensive line has three or four guys who have played, you know, multiple years of football. That's another example of a program that's not losing these guys, right? Xavier Gibson could have gone somewhere else. Trey self could have gone somewhere else. A couple of those defensive guys could have gone somewhere else, but they believe in what the staff is doing. Like coach Carthel mentioned, he believes in having some fun. That's a fun work environment. So they're staying. And I think that they're poised this year with Sam kind of being out, out of the window and Connor Ward not having, you know, a star quarterback coming back to be the team in the state to really watch to see if they can make a push, you know, against the perennial powers of FCS. And uh, I think this is the year with the returning talent and the amount of offensive talent that he has. Uh, this is the year to really watch Stephen F. Austin in the playoffs. I think they can make some real noise and make a run similar to what Sam did in the spring of 2021. Yeah, I agree. I think that one of the one of the other things that I don't think can be overlooked either is that there's that they're more or less next up when it comes to like the transition programs, right? Like, obviously, they're probably going to get a good run in the FCS because. They're not necessarily, you know, Nacogdoches isn't exactly the most lucrative market. And so, like, that's 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 kind of what brought in, Incarnate Word up quicker, probably. Uh, Sam Houston has the legacy, so, like, that kind of brought them up. And so, SFA is kind of in that next up mold of, like, okay, a couple years in the dominant, you know, if they dominate the state and FCS level. And, again, they're probably far and away, like, as far as, you know, I don't see a close second right now um, with, with them as far as that's concerned. Um, I don't see Houston Baptist or, or of course Commerce is going to be a couple years probably from being consistently competitive at that level, but they're next up in terms of being that attractive option for a conference USA or an, a Sun Belt or whatever, who looks to add another school later on, right? Because it's one thing to keep shuffling around fellow FBS schools. Eventually you got to go and get an FCS school and, and try to prop them up. And if we do get to a point where you know, they have a couple South, they have a couple of titles under their belts, they, uh, conference titles under their belt. They have one or two deep playoff runs. People are going to be looking like, okay, well, what about SFA, right? They obviously have a great basketball program, men's and women's. Um, I think they're set up perfectly to kind of be that quick riser now that they are kind of a, a, a big fish in a small pond to put it, you know, put it, put a certain way. Like Sam and UIW were the only other two schools in the state that really had consistently been at that level hbu of course was a lot of bailey zappy and zach kitley and they got they left and you saw what happened um so unless anything changes in that regard again this could be this is like far and away (laughs) and the texas market is a valuable market so like even though nacogdoches might not be the state as a whole people just want to get in the state people want to acquire more assets in the state i think they have the perfect program and the perfect guy to build that too in colby carthel he's going to be a personality you're going to know about him if they keep, uh, uh, if they win, you're going to see his face a lot more. You're going to hear his sound bites a lot more. And yeah, I agree. I think that they're, this is going to be a huge, this next phase in between the realignments, uh, whenever the next domino falls later on, this is going to be a huge showcase moment for this program, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they're right at a tipping point of being a, a perennial program that we talk about in the state. Like we do Mary Harden, like we have Sam Houston of like, they're going to win. They're going to win football games. And we've talked about it a few times on this podcast, but I am incredibly interested to see, let's say in two or three years, Stephen F. Austin is what we think that they are, right? They're going to mm-hmm. start winning conference championships. They're going to make deep runs in the playoffs. Let's say they even win a national championship or at least get to a national championship game. Sure. And you're a recruit from Tyler, Texas, and you're sitting there with two offers. One of them is to play at Sam Houston. One of them is to play at Stephen F. Austin. Which program is better to play at? Mm-hmm. Is the FCS national championship contending year in, year out perennial contender team a more enticing you know, offer for a recruit than trying to struggle to go get a bowl game or even not even struggling just to go to a bowl, you know, win in eight, nine games in conference USA right. uh, moving forward. Like which one is better? I don't know. And I, you know, I honestly think that the move of Sam up to FBS, a lot of people I've seen kind of, you know, think that, Oh, that may hurt Stephen F. Austin. Mm-hmm. I think it may help them. I, I think it, the, some of the guys that may have slipped to Sam, are going to slip to Stephen F. now. And I think that only only helps that program out in East Texas to be kind of the landing spot if FBS football just isn't for you for whatever reason, whether the coaches aren't coming or, you know, whatever that reason may be. If you're not going to be an FBS football player, now Stephen F. doesn't have to recruit against this other huge FCS power down the road. They are that FCS power. Uh, I'm, I'm just fascinated to see kind of what, the talent acquisition becomes for those two programs down the road as they kind of diverge into different, you know, kind of paths over the next three, four, five years. Yep. And for anyone that doubts kind of what we're saying about SFA being next up. So they went eight and four last year. Their losses. Now I'm just going to read these off. 28-22 at Texas Tech. 21-20 versus Sam Houston State. You mentioned that was the one of the, that was one of the best games Craven saw last year. Uh, ranked number one at the time, by the way, uh, Sam Houston State. Four-point loss at number 24, Jacksonville State. And then an overtime loss at number 13, Incarnate Word. Those are their only losses, right? Every other win, I think they did not have a win less than double digits, right? So this is a team that was absolutely ready. And again, you have to also have to remind yourselves, this is the guy that brought in, in his first full year, the number one recruiting class in FCS, right? SFA was not a powerhouse by any means when he came in. They were fine, right? They're always been a respectable program, but Sam Houston was by far the more dominant program at the time. He comes in and similarly to what, uh, what we've kind of hinted at with, with, you know, kind of going to low group of five or high FCS, he really hit that where it was like, Hey, let's come build something here and potentially compete for a national title. And that's what he did. And that's what he's doing. And you're, we arguably haven't even seen that come to fruition yet. Like those players come to fruition yet. Or that I think it was the 2019 class that was like, that was the top rated for FCS. So yeah, I do, I do think they're on the verge of something really special there. And yeah, I, I, I literally cannot wait um, because I just love having uh, as deep of a football uh, quality base as you can get in the state. And I think that they're, uh, certainly doing their parts. So I wouldn't be, I don't know if they have a, do they have a buy game this year? I haven't checked their 2022 schedule. So I don't know if they're going to be options to catch somebody off guard or not. Do you know, Craven? No, not off the top of my head right uh, now. Ooh, actually. So I'll bring it right. I uh, got their schedule up right now. So I, I like this already. 
So they start off at Jacksonville State, uh, Alcorn State, at La Tech, under a new head coach. I don't hate that. Uh, then, of course, Lamar, Sam Houston, uh, Incarnate Worth, Southern, Southern Utah, Dixie State, Tarleton, Central Arkansas, Abilene Christian. I don't hate that La Tech game as a potential upset. Again, new coach, program still trying to kind of figure things out after the Skip Holtz thing went kind of sideways. Uh, early in the season? I don't know. I'm not saying it's happening, but I'm going to say put a pin. Put a pin there. That's getting, that, That's September 10th. Uh, Saturday, September 10th, week three. I'm going to be paying attention to that game. I hate to bring this up, but that reminds me a lot of like the Incarnate Word Texas State game of last year where I'm I'm imagining if you're there and watching pregame warmups, if they switch jerseys, you wouldn't call BS, why, right? Why like, are you bringing up old stuff? I don't, know, I don't know if you'll be able to tell which one's the FBS team and which one's the FCS team. I, I think I think Stephen F. is as talented, if not more talented, yeah. than Law Tech. They're absolutely going to have the best player on the field. Sure. Xavier Gibson's more talented than anybody that Law Tech has. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a game that, you know, honestly, Stephen F. wins that one. I, I know it'll be an upset to gamblers and stuff like that. I bet you anything, Colby Carthel wouldn't consider it an upset. No, and no, that, that, that speaks to where he's gotten that SFA program and that they're right on the cusp of doing something seriously, seriously big inside the state. And for, for people still listening, you know, we talk a lot about, like, how there's more to football than just Power 5 in the college football playoffs. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there's a lot more to college football than just the FBS level. Like, FCS yep. football, Division Two football, it's great, right? Like, if you like high school football, you'd love this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's – it's it, the talent level's there. The best, the best teams that – you know, sure, there are some FCS teams that are bad, but, like, really good FCS – competition like incarnate word versus steven f that sam houston first steven f game last year in nrg was up there with any of the other fbs games i went to last year in terms of just overall enjoyment level so i encourage everybody you know to kind of mix in a couple of fcs uh, uh games and I, I think that was one of the cool things about that covid spring year is it introduced some people to, to a different brand of football that maybe they weren't ever you know experienced in and you look at it and you go oh well this is this is quality football this is entertaining good football um and just the fact that we live in a state where there's 47 programs to cover and there's so many different storylines and so many different teams competing for stuff i think it really just speaks to the quality uh, of the sport within this state yep i agree so that'll do it for us this week uh craven do we have a hint for the next guy you're trying to line up um, yeah, they, they, uh, they won an overtime game against Stephen F last year. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, uh, yeah, he was oh, quarterback Gilmer high school with Jeff trailer as the head coach. Maybe that's a better, that's He's a often better seen hint. as another, uh, guy who got away when it comes to Mac Brown's, uh, final tenure, uh, at Texas. So he was one of the, yeah. probably not as high profile of as some of the other guys who got away, but definitely somebody who. I think probably should have been wearing burn orange uh, compared to the guys they were running out at the time. Uh, so yeah, there's your hint. Uh, it's pretty obvious if you're familiar with anything football in the state. So hopefully, or just listen to this podcast a couple minutes ago. Um, <laughs> anyway, that'll be our next guest. And we look forward to that uh, for Mike and Mallory. I'm Ishmael Johnson. Thank you guys for listening. Remember to like rate review, subscribe, all that stuff uh, helps us out a lot. We see the numbers. We review them every week in our meetings and it's always nice to have a good number. We want to beat uh, Texas football today. So we have a ways to go, uh, <laughs> but I think we can do it because there are some passionate college football fans in this state. So please help us beat pickle and Tepper in their podcast. Uh, with that being said, uh, we will talk to you guys next week.